Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. We're going to take a little bit of a diversion today. We don't do this very often, but I, I did want to do it. It's been a while since we have. It's just kind of do something that's more on a Mother Day theme. So we're not going to be in Luke uh, today. We're going to be talking about the heart of a mother. The heart of a mother from 1 Samuel chapter 1 and chapter 2. So if you want to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1, it's in the Old Testament, right after Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Deuteronomy, Joshua, and then Judges. So I believe that would be number seven book. We want to talk about the heart of a mother. I'm here today uh, preaching and teaching you because of the heart of a mother. I have shared with you my mom and who she is to me. Many of you have met her. Uh, she is a remarkable woman who raised four kids with my dad. Uh, but uh, just what she overcame, just going, going back to get her GED and then teaching herself French and art and all sorts of things so she could eventually become a teacher herself. And just what she's done is she's just, uh, uh, her heart is here why uh, her children are serving the Lord and now her grandchildren and so on and so forth. So the heart of a mother is so important. But consider this, in a time of violence, murder, Sexual promiscuity and deceit, not today, but very much like it. A time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes enters a woman who is desperate for a child. Married into a polygamous marriage, her husband loves her, though she is bearing, meaning she cannot have any children. The other wife, wife number two, has been blessed with many sons and daughters, yet she is jealous of her husband's attention towards the childless wife. She makes it a point to taunt her to the point of making her life miserable, causing the barren woman to not eat and to be in constant state of weeping and sorrow. Her clueless husband responds to her pain and suffering by saying, why do you weep and why do you not eat and why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than 10 children? That's the heart of a father, I think, there. Aren't I enough for you? Imagine, though, living in a world, a society, a culture where motherhood is exalted. To bear sons is considered not only good, but a duty to one's husband, family, tribe, and society. Your whole identity and self-worth is wrapped into bearing not just children, but sons, sons who can carry on the family name, sons with strong backs who will be able to work the fields, and sons to leave your inheritance too. All the hopes, expectations, and dreams reside in your ability to have male sons. Yet you find yourself unable to do so. Now, this may be hard for you and I to imagine in our world, in our society and culture today, especially in a world, if I'm going to be honest, really doesn't seem to value children. 
we're seeing that today with just the, the uh, it's kind of apropos that the leakage of the Roe versus Wade and the Casey Dobbs opinion comes out from the Supreme Court. Forbes magazine reports that the Center for Disease Control and Prevention released a new data showing that the birth rate has dropped to an all-time low in the United States. It seems that the millennials just aren't having kids, or at least they're just not having them yet. The only cohort of women showing a uptick in the first-time births, listen to this, are actually women over 35 years old. They're waiting until they're 35 years and older to have children. Now, some of you have had children and grandchildren say, uh-uh, that ain't, wait, that ain't happening. In fact, the rate of the first-time births for women between ages 40 and 45 has doubled since 1990 to 19, or 2012 in those 22 years. Reason Magazine writes that every aspect of modernity works against family life and in favor of, listen to this, of singleness and small families or voluntary childlessness. In particular, women find that their time becomes uh, more highly valued in occupations outside the home. So modernity essentially transformed children from capital goods that produce family income into consumption items to be enjoyed for their own sakes. They're more like sculptures, paintings, or theater. You have them if it's something that you'd like to have. But see, that's just the problem it goes on to write. According to happiness researchers, did you realize that? That there are researchers that that's what they, they're happiness researchers. People don't really enjoy This is what he writes, rearing children. Other reasons stated you see here on the monitor are financial insecurity. You may not see that. Hopefully you can. Less children in the home lead to higher achievements for the the one child. High population actually erodes democracy. If you have too too many children, then it erodes democracy in, in the government. The well-being of the family as small families reduce the likelihood of divorce, high blood pressure, smoking, and obesity. Gender equality. This is one reason we ought to have less children, because there ought to be gender equality. And even climate change. One environmental editor for The Guardian writes that the greatest impact individuals, individuals can have in fighting climate change is to have one fewer ch- child. According to a new study that identifies the most effective way people can cut their carbon emissions. So as you look at your child, do you think of a child being a carbon emitter and one who just consumes? But that's how the world sees children today. Much different from that first group that we read earlier. One group reports there are around, listen to this, 4.79 million. So 4.8 million families had three or more children under the 18 living in the household in last year, 2021. In that same year, over 50 million households had no children at all. Pets, small animals, and other things have taken the place of children. Father, we come before you, and as we consider these things, 
It can be alarming as we think of the biblical worldview. And I, I think that's, that's something maybe we need to consider as the world is moving to this way in which children are not valued and treasured, then how should we think biblically about children and our own family and, and, and on our own life and in our own hearts? Father, we thank you for children. We thank you for mothers, for they are a gift. So I pray as we look at the life of Hannah and the heart of a mother, Father, let us see you. And let us see how it reveals and reflects who you are and your love for us. Be with during us during this time. In your name we pray. Amen. As we look at these first two chapters of 1 Samuel, we see the saga of a married woman who is desperate for children, set against a stage of a nation that's in desperate need of a godly leader. As we open up the book of Judges, which we are going to do, by the way, in a couple weeks, we are going to do our summer study, is in the book of Judges. We are going to see a nation in disarray. As you and I left Deuteronomy, or Joshua, we see victory. Israel going into land and, and conquering their enemies and, and claiming the land and then, then being fruitful in the land. But as you and I come to Judges, we see a land that's in disarray where everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes. There's, there's no king. They have, they have abandoned the worship of God. They're they are intermarrying with others and uh, other, other countries and nations. And, and it's just a godless society. The last great judge, Samson, had died. Tribes are fighting with each other. And the priesthood is corrupt. Scripture describes this time as when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They, for the most part, have abandoned the worship of God and the Mosaic law that they had uh, committed and covenanted with. And it seems that during this period that God has gone silent. He seems to be missing from action, at least from a human perspective. With no judges or godly leaders, the people are aimless and lost. In God's providence, as you and I look at this story of Hannah, he is going to use this woman who who at this point has no children and, and is unsuccessful in bearing any. He's going to use her to bridge the gap between the judges of Israel and the kings of Israel and continue the biblical story of redemption where God is going to rescue his people that we've been reading about in the Gospel of Luke. Again, Judges is a place. We're in the promised land. They are settled in there, but yet things are in disarray. These people are from the tribes of Ephraim. You might remember that was the child, one of the children of Joseph. They would go to worship at a town called Silo, uh, Shiloh three times a year. At this time, Jerusalem is, is, is not the capital of, Jeru- uh, of Israel at this time. There is no tip, uh, uh, excuse me, temple worship. There is no temple yet. All they're still using is the little tent, a tabernacle that they had during the wilderness. And that was where it was at. It was at Shiloh. So they would go three times a year there to worship. What we see is there's a husband named Elkna. There's Hannah. She's, she's the first wife, childless, but she is loved. There's Penei. She's wife number two. She has many children, but she's jealous and very mean. There's Eli and the high priest of Israel. So as you and I open up to 1 Samuel, we see that it's the yearly time of worship and sacrifice. Her husband gives his wife and children portions to sacrifice, just like how you and I might give our children, or maybe in the past you would give your child uh, some quarters or maybe a dollar and say, make sure you put this in the offering plate. By the way, that is a good way to teach your children to give. Husbands would give, the husband here, Elkanai, would give a double portion to Hannah, his favorite, or Hannah to his favorite, which would make wife number two very angry. 
She, Penea reacted with jealousy and taunting, and Hannah would just weep and refrain from eating because of her pain and shame. What we see is after a family meal while in Shiloh for their yearly sacrifice, Hannah goes to the tabernacle alone to pray. Her prayer takes the form of a vow in verse 11. So 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11. It's here on the monitor if you need it as well. Hannah prays this, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. So what we see there as you're looking at it, you see I have it kind of underlined there, is she's asking for three things. Look on me, look on my pain, remember me, do not forget me, and give me uh, your servant a son. Not just a child, but give me a son. She says, for as a promise, then I will give him back to you, and he will then serve you. That's what it means with a razor shall not touch his head. So she's asking for three things, giving a promise in return. Now, Eli, the priest, as you and I just look at that verse again, or that passage, he is there and he observes her praying. But she is so distraught, her prayers are so intense, her soul in so much anguish that he concludes that she's drunk in the house of God. And he's upset. He can't believe her. And he asks her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. In response to her rebuke, look at verse 15 and 16 with me. She says, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. And maybe you've been in that place and you can understand. Maybe you haven't. But you're pouring out your spirit because of your vexation, because of your anxiety, because of your pain and suffering. Satisfied with her answer, he gives her a blessing in verse 17 as we continue. He says then, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. He gives her a, a blessing. May God do to you as you wish. Encouraged by this blessing, she says in verse 18 as we continue, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. This passage paints a picture of a woman who desires children, particularly a male son. Like Sarah, the, the, the wife of Abraham, and Rachel, the, the, the wife of Jacob before her. Hannah finds herself bearing, barren, lacking the ability to have children. And she lived in a time when children were a must. It was a sign of God's blessing. Children were needed as workers and inheritors for the land and necessary to carry the name forward. Hannah was most likely the first wife, but since she was childless, her husband took a second wife, just as Abraham did with his mistress. Could you imagine the shame, the guilt, and despair she had? It was more than not having children. She was replaced and someone else was giving her husband exactly what she needed. He needed and wanted. But let me give you some observations about their marriage. One is they did worship together. That's important. 
Three times a year they went to Shiloh to worship. The husband was a godly man who loved his wife. He did love her. But let me give you a side note. This side, this passage is not advocating bigamy or polygamy. Rather, it demonstrates the harm of having more than one wife, trying to solve a problem your way. Uh, Elkanah is, even though he's a godly man, what he did here was wrong. Because he tried to find a solution that was more man-made than God-ordained. Yet, even in this somewhat dysfunctional marriage, you see a family sharing worship and love. And so let me give you an encouragement. If you feel that sometimes that your marriage and your family is a little bit dysfunctional, maybe just a little bit odd, maybe not working on all cylinders, you can still worship. You can still love God and pursue God. God can still bless that. Hannah, she was a woman of worship. She was a woman of prayer. She was a woman of her word. She didn't just say things to get something she wanted. She was willing to give the child back to God. It's not that she wanted him for a keepsake. It's not that she wanted him just for herself to make him a mama's baby. No, she wanted someone that God could use. The crescendo in this narrative is found in verse 19. Would you read silently with me in verse 19? They arose early in the morning and they worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. So the day of worshiping was done. They go back to their home. And Elka knew uh, Hannah, his wife. And look at here. You may want to circle this or underline it here. And the Lord what? Remembered her. And the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Here's something I want you to get. God is a God who remembers. Remember Exodus? He heard, he remembered his promise. He remembers his covenant. God is a God who remembers. He is a God who hears the cries and prayers of his children. The psalmist sings in Psalms 113, Verse 9, that God gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Before she had children, she had the heart of a mother. She had a desire to love, to serve, and to nourish a child. Now let's drop down to verse 21. We see the delay in delivery. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer the Lord the yearly sacrifice to pay his vow. This is the next year or the next time. But Hannah did not go up for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. In verse 23, her husband said, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him in verse 24, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of a flower, a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli, the high priest. And she said, O oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made him. Made to him. So, so here we are. She gets what she has always wanted. She is able to give a son to her husband. But then look at verse 28. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped 
the Lord there. The very thing she desired, the thing that she wanted the most, she gives back to God. Her son Samuel, though Hannah is not aware of God's plan, would be the bridge between the judges and the kings. He would be the last judge of Israel. He would grow up to be a priest that brings honor back to the priesthood. He's a prophet of God that the people would look and listen to. He is a man fashioned by God, given through Hannah, who is going to continue and bring the country into unity and point him once again to Yahweh. He is the man who would anoint both Saul and then David, king of Israel. To Lent meant what she was doing is once he got to the point where he could eat and feed on himself, she brought him to Eli and he lived there. That's what it meant. She, she lent him to the Lord. He, he stayed with Eli and served in the temple. Which one of us could do that today? I mean, aren't you glad that that's not a requirement? I don't know what I'd do with your children if you brought them to me and say, here, take care of them now. But this is something that was normal in those days. What you see here is the heart of a mother who loves her child and knows that the best thing she could do for her children is to lend. One of the things that we do here, we do not baptize babies. We don't believe that's a biblical thing. But what we do here is we do just child dedications in which we bring the parents up there with their family and the parents then commit to giving that child back to God that, they may, that he may one day serve God. And so we as a church and they as a, uh, parents and those as family members, they commit to raising that children up so that they too may serve God. It comes kind of from what we read here in 1 Samuel. What I want to share with you is that Hannah's prayer. Turn now to 1 Samuel chapter 2. Randy read just a little bit earlier, verses 1 through 10. And in there, that's her prayer. And I just want to make a few notes there real quickly as we move on. First, what you're going to see in verse 1 is Hannah has a heart of worship. She prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted. I rejoice in your salvation. Number two, she knows God. She knows that he is holy. When she says there is none holy like God, there is no rock like our God. She says he is a God of knowledge, as he says, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. God knows why he withheld a child. God knows why he gave me a child. He is sovereign. The Lord kills and brings to life. She writes in verse, she prays in verse 6. He brings down to the grave and he raises up. The Lord makes the poor and the Lord makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. She comes to understand the reason for her pain. She recognizes and the shame and guilt is not hers to carry, for God remembers and hears. He is a God of justice, for he raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap uh, to make them sit with princes and inherits a seat of honor. He will guard, in verse 9, the feet of his faithful ones. The adversaries, in verse 10, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. God is a God of justice who brings all things in the balance. Maybe not in this earth and in this world, but in the future. Number three, Hannah continues to love, provide, and nurture her child. It's not that she separated totally from them. Look at chapter two, look at verse 18. Now Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a baby, a boy, excuse me, clothed with linen ephod. 
So you can imagine someone like Nolan or Lily or even coming up to the age of Landon here and Michael, so on and so forth, walking around serving in the temple, doing the things necessary. In verse 19, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, may the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked the Lord. So then she would turn to her home. So she continued to love, provide and nurture her child. The mother, her heart was not taken away for her child. She loved him just as much. But fourthly, in verse 21, we see she's rewarded for her faithfulness. For the Lord visited her once again, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Not in replacement of Samuel, but just to hear her cry. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 26, he sees that as a boy continued to grow both in stature and favor with the Lord and also with man. That verse may sound familiar to you. Compare those words with another mother who was given the gift of a child and willingly gave him back to God in Luke chapter 2, verse 52. It's here on the monitor, I believe. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. One of the things that I do is, is I, you may not know this, well, you'll know this now, is you know, I have Monday through Thursday kind of mapped out in my office. And in it, I have each and every one of you on there along with your families. And so each day I pray for each of you and your children. And one of the things that I pray for, for you and your children and for my grandchildren is that God would increase them in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God and man. And that's the heart of a mother is to raise their children to be able to do that, whether it's a boy or a girl. We need to recognize is that's one of the great prayers that we have, that God will grow them. Both Hannah and Mary received a child from God and both gave them up to serve God. Both are quoted in scripture with giving a song of praise to God, yet both continued to love, nurture, and support their sons. In Hebrews 11.32, Samuel is even listed as one of the great heroes of the faith. When he says, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. That young man, a promise from God, grew up to be an important part and player in the purposes of God. Now, as you and I come to it, I want to come and recognize that that's that society today. You and I, though, live in a society that, as I said earlier, doesn't seem to me to treasure children or to value motherhood. I think we are seeing policies, we are seeing laws, we are seeing school districts do everything they can to separate the parent from the child, or the child, I should say, from the parent. Some of the things that you would just read in the news of what they are doing and, and separating them is just, just unbelievable. A story from, Mar- from Virginia about a young girl who ran away from home because she wanted to be transgender and wound up being sex trafficked for, for years, then only to be found and then to be put in a boy's home, even though she was still had a girl's body, again, then sexually abused. And then the state of Maryland refused to give her back to her parents because they would not call her by her male name instead of her given birth name. Now, I know maybe even in this congregation, we may not all agree on some of those issues. But that's why I believe it's important for us to think biblically 
on this. The heart of a mother is one that loves their children, desires. But scripture says that in the last days, the hearts of many will what? Grow cold. And I think we're seeing that in this world today. Make no mistake. Let me share this with you. And I'm going to be bold in saying this. If Satan wants to destroy your marriage and he wants to destroy your children. And, 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 and I, you may want to fight with me afterwards on this, but let's wait until after Mother's Day to do so is I believe that the government is part of that plan. We as elders have even been talking about how can we encourage and support our parents in getting kids out of public schools? Because I just think at this point, it's such a dangerous, scary thing. California is one of the worst. I'd like to see us as a church commit helping all parents get their children, uh, whether it's in a private school or homeschooling with some type of co-op. Now, this is not part of my message. This is all extra. You don't have to pay for this at all. It's all free. But we cannot fall into the trap as thinking as children as accessories or someone that we have just to uh, live vicariously through. And I think that's what's happened many times. Whether it's the mom who has a boy and wants them to be a girl or a girl to be a boy. Or they want their child to be sports. It could be you're pouring your kids and they're, all they're doing is sports all the time because you want them to be some major league player. Or some other type of thing. Let's not fall into that trap, that way of thinking. The heart of a mother is instrumental in shaping and molding us. We live in a day and age where mothers are not necessary, nor are fathers. In, in, in their cult, they can be interchangeable. But they are an important part of God's plan in producing children that love and fear God. Tenderly preparing the heart to receive the good news of the gospel. Let me share with you, mothers, you are an important role in God's plan to bring your children to the Lord. To help them come into the image of Christ through the working of the Holy Spirit. The heart of a mother is important. Women should pursue the desire, that God-given desire to have children. I think that's something that God gives many women just as he gives to many men that desire to be a father. They're to tenderly prepare the children. So I want to say a couple things on this right here as then I want to go into the main part of my message. Is what does this say to mothers today about the heart of a mother in 1 Samuel? First, mothers, have a heart of worship. Love your husband and children. Serve them in the Lord, knowing that God hears, remembers, and gives generously to his children. Mothers, grab that type of heart. What does it say to those who will one day be mothers? You're here and you say, I'm not a mother yet. Well, begin praying now for your child, that God may grant you wisdom and love for when that day that God gifts you children. Know that children are a treasure from the Lord. But let me share, because I know many times Mother's Day can be a difficult time for mothers or for those who cannot have children, I should say. If you cannot, give your pain and hurt to God. 
He hears and he comforts. Trust in his goodness and timing. Let's make it clear that it is God and God alone who opens and closes the womb. And though I am thankful that we never had to suffer from that personally, I know many of you have. And I want to share that God knows and understands. And God sovereignly works in your life even in those times. And the good news is, as tough as this may be, for those of you who may have suffered a miscarriage, is that child is in heaven. I believe the first person that walks through that gate will be that young boy and child, boy or girl. And they'll love you. Let me also say in this day of age, even in a church this size, maybe we have some young ladies that have had abortions or might have had abortion at one time. I would say this when I talk to those that go through abortion recovery classes, I get the honor and the privilege of being able to speak to the men and women after they go through that class through the Living Well Pregnancy Center. Is that if you had aborted, if at some point in your life you made that decision, that's not the unpartable sin. God forgives you. But more importantly, you still have a child. They too will welcome you as you make your way into heaven. And there will be no judgment or condemnation in their eyes towards you. But what does it say to those who's, who's, who are moms and grandmothers or great-grandmothers and your children have grown up and you think, I just don't know what to do with them. Well, trust that God is good and has a plan for you, your family, your child, or children. You may think, I have no other control of them. Maybe, maybe they're prodigal. They've left the faith. Or, or maybe they're professing a faith, but they're not showing any indication that they are Christ. Don't feel like a failure. That child has to make that decision. But be encouraged that God hears, God remembers, and God answers the prayers of his children. So what does this say to mothers who are worried about messing their children up or suffering from mistakes that you have made? Rest in the goodness of God and his faithfulness. God covers what is lacking in our abilities. Amen? Because I will tell you, there are times that I look back and say, I don't know why my children are not all in jail. You know, I just don't understand. Maybe it's because I taught them, don't get caught, don't sign anything, and, you know, just make, no, I didn't teach them any of those things. Yes. Because I just know my own heart. It's like, how in the world did we ever get to this point? And I love all three of my children. I do have three children, for those of you who may know. It's a funny little story. We left our last church. We were there for almost five years. And as they were saying goodbye to us, they brought all of us up onto the stage, and they, they, you know, they said goodbye to us. And, they, and several of them come to me and say, I didn't know you had three children. They didn't know where Jake is. I don't know if that's why he headed back to Illinois once he got married. I don't know, but they didn't know I had three children. Let me share this before I just make a mess out of this whole thing. Give your desires to serve God. And he will sustain you in whatever season of life you're in. In whatever past you might be suffering or even maybe guilt or shame. For God has us all in his hands. But what I want to transition to is because what I think it's important is we understand the heart of a mother 
is that the heart of a mother for her children, you and I understand, especially on Mother Day, you and I, probably many of us could stand up and say, man, my mom was the best. I knew that she loved me and cared for me. Majority, most of us would say, even in their weaknesses, right? Maybe with any of their failings, is they loved us. But the heart of a mother for her children reflects, get this, reflects the heart of God for his children. That's what's important for you and I to take from this story of Samuel. There are a few places in scripture where God describes himself in motherly terms in what he does in some of the things and in that he does some of the things that mothers that we usually consider that's the job of the mother. Look, look at here, Deuteronomy 32. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you. Yahweh is talking to Israel. You forgot the God who gave you birth. He's talking to Israel. I gave you birth, but you've forgotten me. Isaiah 42, for a long time, I have held my peace, God says. I have kept still and restrained myself. That sounds like a mother. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. It's God speaking. He said, I'm almost frustrated. What is going on? Isaiah 66, as one who mothers comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted. Isaiah 49, 15, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget. Then, of course, what we saw in Matthew 23, we saw Luke's depiction of this. But in Matthew 23, O Jerusalem, the Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets, and stones those who are sent to it. How I would often gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. God is many times portrays himself with characteristics that we normally would put towards on the feminine. But let me be clear. As a spirit, God has no gender. Though throughout scripture, he presents himself in male terms, especially as the father, in masculine in terms. There is no mother God. Yet he does reveal traits that we normally ascribe to women, especially mothers. This is to help us understand his deep love and care for his children, just as a mother's heart for her children are demonstrated by her deep, faithful, loving, generous, sacrificial giving. For mothers do that so much better than men do many times. This picture of motherhood with Hannah serves to enlighten us of God's love and his care for the family. As Christians, we are adopted into God's family, inheriting a new nature, a new identity, a new family, and a new inheritance. Through Christ, we have a new relationship with God, one in which God nourishes and cares for us with the promise to conform us into the image of of Jesus Christ. Like a mother who finds joy in cherishing, cultivating, and comforting her children into maturity, so is the Trinity. That's the presentation of the gospel. Is that God is, has created all things. And all that you and I have are because of his great gifts to us. Every heartbeat, every beat of our heart, every function of 
Every organ, the gospel primer says, is a gift from him. Like a mother who nourishes and keeps her child alive through, through feeding it and taking care of it and protecting it. So is God done for you and I. However, what we have done is in our rebellion, we have rejected God. Almost as a child who, re, who rejects his mother's love, God forbid that that should happen, but it does. We have rejected God. And because of that, there's a separation. God is holy. We are sinful. And now we are, we are, we are torn away from our father. But God in his love sent his son to pay the penalty for our sin. Because of sin, there's a penalty. And that penalty is death. None of us can escape it. The Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. There's none that seek after God for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You cannot make it into the new kingdom, the heaven and earth. You cannot be saved unless the Bible says you are born again. Again, using terms of birth that you and I must understand. And that new birth does not come by you attending church or by giving money. It does not come from you trying to be a good person. It comes from the gift of the Holy Spirit who removes our heart and gives us a heart that is now able to see God and taste and see that he is good. So that's a prayer that we all should have. God, give my son. God, give my daughter that new heart. Begin drawing them to yourself so they may see how beautiful you are and how majestic God is. And you and I, when we get that new heart, we then we turn and respond by repentance. Repentance is a change of mind and a change of behavior. It's recognizing that our sin, the dead works that we did, all the good things we did are nothing but filthy rags. We must turn towards him and trust that God will accept us based on Christ's work, not our own. That's the redemption plan. That's why God had given Samuel, or excuse me, he's given Hannah, Samuel, so that his gospel work may continue. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to 1 Thessalonians. By the way, men, this is what we are reading for the month of May, is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 through 3. Ladies, you may join us as well. You see, this desire, this heart of a mother to nurture, to cultivate, was not just between God and Israel that we read of earlier, or God and the church, but it also that heart of a mother is to be between believers. So as you and I come and God gives us his heart and he draws and he woos us to himself and he embraces us and adopts us into his family and then nourishes and uh, cultivates us, he now then puts us into the family of God into a covenant community. And then that covenant of the community the church then becomes the heart of a mother for each other, so to speak. We are to develop the heart of a mother in sharing the gospel and caring for each other. Read silent with me in 1 Thessalonians, starting at uh, chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, so look with me at verse 1. Paul is writing here to the church of Thessalonica there in the, in the, in the area of Greece. This is in the first century. Paul writes, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, 
we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. In other words, they had, Paul and his companions had escaped Philippi where they sought to kill him. They go to Thessalonica, and even though there is affliction and conflict, they had the boldness to continue to share the heart of a mother and share within the gospel. God loves you. God wants you to be reconciled. Look at verse 3. For our appeal, our desire to share the gospel, does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with that gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know in verse 5, nor with pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we see glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. You know who are the most um, unrecognized people in the world today? It's the work of a mother. In this world, it's disdained in many cases. To be a housewife or a homemaker is looked down upon. And I'm going to have to tell you, it is the greatest job in the world. One that I wish all of our, our mothers could attain to. But look at here, verse 7. But we were gentle among you like a nursing what? Mother. Taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we are ready to share with you now in the gospel of a God but also our own selves, which you have become very dear to us. Right there in verse 7 and 8, you see the heart of a mother. One who is a nursing mother taking care of her child, being affectionately desirous of their child. We're ready to serve and share with you not only the good news of the gospel, but also their own lives as well. That's the heart of of a mother. I know I've been kind of all over the place this Mother's Day with Scripture, but I want us to understand the heart of a mother when it comes to a biblical view of living. We need to have the heart of a mother, each and every one of us. One who will give all that she has to love and nourish her children. Let us commit to not only resting in the promises of God, the one who hears our cries, who listens to our petitions, but also resting in the promises of God, who also sacrificially, generously, intentionally, and cheerfully give of ourselves in serving each other. Let me end by this. OVBC, we need to be a church that loves each other. We need to be affectionate towards one, one another. Putting on those things of Colossians chapter 3 of blamelessness, holiness, love, affection, forgiving one another. We need to be desirous of each other growing to be like Christ. In other words, just as we want our children to grow in wisdom and in favor with God, or in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man, you and I ought to desire that you and I are growing up to be more like Christ. The heart of the mother should be in each and every one of us, whether you're female or male, man or woman, is we need to have a love and a desire to not only see our children grow, but also each other to grow. For our husband, for our spouse, our wife. Why? Because this is the heart of a mother. This is the heart 
of God. So let's consider that this Mother's Day. Let's give thanks to our mothers. For without them, we would not be here, right? I mean, that's, that's just the, that's God's truth right there. But also let us realize that God loved us and has nourished and affectionately give to us that we may become part of his family. Then let us love one another with that type of heart. Amen? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. And Landon, which both our worship leader and the guy who's going to pray are both in the nursery. They have the heart of a mother today. I ended a little bit different. But we're going to go ahead and close up here. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you take a moment to pause and just consider what I've given? It's a little bit different, I understand. But consider, do you have the heart of a mother? Not that you have feminine qualities, that's what I'm asking but have a heart of a mother who is sacrificially, generously, intentionally, cheerfully giving of yourselves, not only to your husband or to your wife, but to your children, and then to each other. For our lives are not our own, but we are lent back to God, the one who gave us life. And we're to serve God in our generation, just as Hannah did, just as Samuel did, just as David did. Peter and Paul. Let us do so by loving each other. I would ask for you then just to pray and respond. Maybe it's time for you to come and know Christ. Maybe you've never, you're not a Christian. If you were to stand before heaven and, and, and Jesus would say, why should I let you into heaven? You don't know what your answer would be. Or maybe your answer is, 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 is because I'm a good person or because I'm married to a good person or my grandmother is a good person. Let me share with you, being a good person just gets you to a front row seat into hell. I know those are strong words. If you have questions, I'd love to share with you how you too can know that you are a Christian, one that is going to enter into heaven. Maybe you're here and you're concerned that you've screwed up your children. You're not sure if they know Christ. Just give it to God. Maybe you're here and you would like to be a mom, but God hasn't answered that prayer for you. Give it to God. Let's go ahead and pray at this time. I'm going to ask Landon if you come. Close this in a word of prayer. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help share the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.